welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Each week we delve deep with some of the brightest and most forward-thinking, out-of-the-box minds in health, consciousness, mindset, and spirituality. This show inspires our listeners to improve their body and mind, and our intention is to fuse and unlock the conscious warrior and shift the balance in the current paradigm. In a lucid dream, you can seek out future information. In lucid dreams, uh, instead of telling a dream figure, hey, do you know I'm dreaming you? What you should do instead is this. You should ask the dream figure, who are you? What do you represent? In lucid dreams, you can reintegrate or reconnect with that discarded energy or that ignored or repressed energy. And once you reconnect with it, it, it actually, you can physically feel it inside of you. And when you go up to a dream figure and say, hey, do you know I'm dreaming you? And they look at you and say, uh, how do you know I'm not dreaming you? And I think that even makes it more incredible that, that we can't control everything and unexpected things happen. I mean, that, that makes it even more incredible because it shows that there's more going on there. What the mind contains is incredible. And so, so it really makes you restructure your thinking. You know, are, are we connected to a collective unconscious? Is there a universal mind? You know, what's really going on here? Are we just great guessers? You know, is the mind just an amazing computer that can, you know, pull forth stuff that, that seems good? Hey, what is up everyone? In this episode of the Send Podcast, we're joined by Robert Wagner for his second appearance on the podcast. And just to set the tone for this podcast, I just wanted to read a quick air quote that Robert wrote. The sailor does not control the sea. You may navigate your ship through the ocean, but you do not have to consciously populate every dream scene with every leaf and blade of grasp and wisp of cloud. So the last time Robert was on the podcast, we touched on some really cool topics and really did cover a lot. And you guys are probably thinking, is there anything else that we could touch on? But as you guys know, there's always more that we can touch on and dig into. So in this conversation, we really want to look at the aspect of becoming more consciously aware within the dream world or state or whatever you want to call it. So in this podcast, we touch back on a few areas that Robert slightly mentioned on in the previous episode that we wanted to really look at deeper especially the area where he briefly touched on a dream may be able to adapt to its environment. We touched on sharing dreams, we touched on dream figures, and Robert explains the concept of dream figures. Robert told us about Abraham Lincoln, who in 1865, two weeks before he was shot dead, had a psychic dream about the funeral at the White House. Dreams unlocking the creative consciousness. We touched on Nikola Tesla and his dream experiments the relationship between the five senses and even unlocking more senses within the dream state, lucid dreaming, looking for a deeper meaning within the lucid dreams. We even asked Robert what was the deepest he's travelled within his dreams, dream within a dream, meditation within the dream world, can the body actually heal itself within a dream. This was another fascinating conversation and there's certainly loads more to cover but we really feel that we've certainly covered a lot within these two episodes and they've been great conversations. But before we jump with this podcast, also please don't forget to leave a review of the podcast and just let us know what you think. But without further ado, Robert Wagner. 
Hey. How you how you doing? Good, good, thanks. Oh, cool. Um, Robert, there's, there's so many different areas want to take this today. Uh, good. <laughs> we've, been, we've been so excited, haven't we? Yeah. Couldn't reach our lucid dreams still last night. But we... <laughs> oh, good. Uh, well, sure, I'm, ha- I'm happy to go wherever you guys want to go, and so uh, just have at it. Yeah, cool. Robert, we'll actually... Um, we we've actually launched the, the first episode as well because we'll put it forward because thought it was so good, didn't we? Yeah, we've actually released it. <laughs> yeah, we we'll, we released it straight away, and we, um, like for this week's episode, we released it, and we had it, we've already had like great feedback from it already, haven't we? Oh, yeah, great, great. Yeah, that's such a such a fascinating topic. Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's great. It, it's amazing how many people are totally into lucid dreaming. Um, it, you know, all you need to do is have three or four of them, and you just realize how how amazing it it really is. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's, keep, let's keep it doing it, man. Let's yeah, let's definitely. Make sure this podcast is the exact same. Yeah. Well, Robert, I'd just like to say welcome back to the podcast again. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cool. I know as well. Um, last time, Robert, uh, on the podcast, we touched on some like really cool topics. But um, like we said in the last po- uh, podcast as well, um, in this conversation, would really love to go deeper, like in becoming more like conscious aware within the dream state as well. But um. I know before as well, before just before we uh, start do going deeper into this podcast, there was something I wanted to um, uh, mention because on the previous podcast, um, you mentioned that um, a dream can um, adapt to its environment. And um, I was really fascinated by that. And um, I know you mentioned that you and your wife went traveling to nature. And obviously that sort of changes your dreams as well. But I was wondering, like, have you got any more information on that area, how like uh, dreams adapt to its environment? Yeah, so so the story was um, my wife and I were floating down the Grand Canyon on, on the Colorado River, and so you sleep out under the stars. You, you don't have any cell phone reception, so everyone leaves their cell phones behind. And and all of a sudden, I began to realize that my dreams at night were becoming much more intense, much more vivid. I just had some incredibly powerful lucid dreams, and, and so so I think that that if we change our environment like get out in nature or um, even if just for the hour or two before we go to sleep, if we just get away from the TV, get away from the computer, get away from the cell phone, you know, it allows us to kind of get back into our natural head. And when we get back into our natural self, th- then we're much more likely, I think, to have more vivid, memorable, and sometimes even lucid dreams. Yeah. I was wondering, Robert, you know, has, has, has there actually been any like research done in them different areas? You know, um, I wonder about that, too. Uh, you, you hear anecdotal reports from people, but, but I, I yeah. don't think there's been any research. Yeah, I think there definitely needs to be some research done that because I think that would be so fascinating, like trying the city and then trying nature and just see what the outcome was. I thought it would be so different, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I think there's so many different influences. Though. Like, isn't it like a city? Your, your dreams might be a lot more brighter and, in a sense, like, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, Robert? Well, you know, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to say. Um, um, I don't know what it is about being out in nature, like camping or something like that, but uh, I, I just found that my dreams were much more intense. Now, for Native Americans, um, uh, like like the Navajo and Hopi and all, the, the Grand Canyon is a super spiritual place. Um, in fact, it, it's kind of um, going down through the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River. It's kind of like, uh, in their mind, a, a little bit like the Trip of the Dead. Uh, yeah. it, it's kind of their their way, and, and then also another interesting thing about it, um, 
I didn't realize this until I had a lucid dream in the Grand Canyon. So it's about the third or fourth night. uh, I became lucid when I saw this woman who was walking along, and I had seen her the night before in a dream. And and I thought, wait a second, where have I seen this woman before? And I said, oh, in last night's dream. Oh, this is a dream. And and so I became lucidly aware. I interacted with the woman. It was was wild. And then I went flying. And, And I want to tell you what I experienced. I experienced as I was flying around kind of a cloud of red light. That's the only way I can describe it. But think of a cloud that's like 40,000 feet composed of red light. And I just kept going higher and higher and higher trying to find, you know, the top of this this red light, this space. Anyway, when I I got back from the Grand Canyon, uh, I started checking out this part of the Grand Canyon to, to try to understand what that experience might have connected to. And the Native Americans in that area say that in their mythology, this is the location where they came from the earth. They emerged from the earth and and began to populate the area. And, and so it has this really heavy-duty uh, symbolic uh, meaning for them. But, but I've found this also uh, when I've stayed at other uh, Native American uh, sites. Uh, sometimes there were gathering sites or power sites. And, and even now, some Native American tribes have actually built hotels there. And, and I think it's to uh, help us gringos kind, kind of uh, uh, experience kind of a new level, a new dimension. But, but I've had some extraordinarily powerful uh, lucid dreams uh, when I've stayed at those kind of places. But, but anyway, getting out into the environment uh, in whatever way you choose, I, I think can really uh, change your dream life. Yeah, I love I love that story. And when you said the Grand Canyon there as well, it sparks something in my mind as well because I don't know if you're like familiar, but people have actually been trying to like uh, this sort of ties in with lucid dreaming as well. But a lot of people have actually been trying to like meditate in the um, in the Egyptian pyramids. And, it's, and now it's actually forbidden. So that's like raising a question in my mind now is like, why is that being forbidden? And like how that ties into sort of lucid dreaming, you know what I mean? It's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll tell you about a lucid dream I had. Um, one time I became lucidly aware when I found myself inside a pyramid. And, oh. and, and here's the strange thing that was happening. Um, so there were four of us people uh, on the four corners in this interior room of the pyramid. And... In each of our hands, we had a, a jewel, you know, a big, a big gem of a different color, and each of us were chanting a different sound. And then in the middle of us, uh, between the four of us in the middle, there was a person that we were seeking to heal. And it, it was a trippy experience because the inside of the pyramid was so colorful. I mean, there's all this blue and gold paint and, and figures and everything. And I'm standing there with this uh, gem in my hand, you know, just building out this sound in order to heal uh, this person uh, in in the middle of the sport. And, and so when you have those kind of experiences, it, it makes you wonder if you just have a vivid ima- imagination or, or if you're actually, you know, connecting to some kind of past life memory or, or some, you know, bit of the collective unconscious or whatever it is. But but, but in any case, um, it, it doesn't surprise me that they've, stop people from meditating in Egyptian pyramids. It, 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 for some people, it probably might be too much energy. Yeah, definitely it is. It's so, it is so fascinating, that like that correlation between that. But um, something else I want to touch on, Robert, as well, I know um, something else that we're, uh, you start talking about, it'll touch on a little bit, but I want to go a bit further. In the previous episode, at the end of the uh, conversation, we t- ended up talking about um, future technologies. 
and um, on the previous, um, sorry, talking about how technologies that can monitor dreams and maybe even like record them. But something that um, I never got to mention was something called Dream Lincoln. Have you heard of that? Dream Link? Dream Lincoln. Uh, uh, so, so, so spell that for me. It's L I N K I N G. Dream Linking. You know, yeah. I, I have not heard of this before. Yeah, I just because I I just seen it somewhere like when I was I was looking into future technologies to do with dreams, and it said somewhere where they were talking about how dream linking and seeing that it will not only it'll start showing when someone is like eh, sorry it'll not only show when someone's dreaming, but it'll tell them like what they're dreaming about. Hmm, this is totally new to me. So uh, yeah. so, so thank, thanks for sharing that. Uh, it's I, I'll have to check into that more. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Like, uh, something else I've heard as well, Robert, is like um, it, it may also be possible like for two people who are in a dream state at the same time for those two people to share dreams and uh, like one person could try and steer a friend's dream in the same direction right. so that they could effectively like share a dream and maybe even interact in it. That's crazy. That. You know, it's um, interesting about Three or four years ago, in this magazine that I co-edit called The Lucid Dreaming Experience, we had this young guy from Cornell University who's a lucid dreamer, and he wrote us about this kind of technology that he had created. And basically, so um, here's what it was, um, um, that, that a person and their friend would both go to sleep um, you know, wearing a headset or something like that, and that if one of them became lucid, he could somehow it that the uh, smartphone would pick up his lucidity because he would do something that would pick up his lucidity, and then it would contact the other guy's smartphone and try to uh, enable that guy to become lucidly aware by you know like a prearranged signal like you know if you hear a cat meow or red lights flashing you know then you'll become lucidly aware. But, but I was reading this uh, article this young guy wrote, and, and he had developed his prototype, and I thought, wow, that's, that's actually kind of neat to have a, uh, you know, your smartphone realize you're lucid, then signal someone else's smartphone who is also a lucid dreamer to see if they can become lucid at the same time, and then you could possibly have a mutual lucid dream. So, so anyway, the, there's going to be some amazing future technologies, but, but we're just kind of in the very beginning stages. Yeah, definitely. Something as well um, that really fascinated me, Robert, was um, was in your book, like when you were talking about um, dream figures. And I was thinking that maybe also, that also links into the connection with dream linking as well. But like, I was thinking, it is it's just so fascinating, but like I was thinking, but I think when we, like you do become more um, like conscious in like in the dream state, like what you talk about with the dream figures, could you like explain the concept of dream figures? Yeah, so um, as I explored more and more into lucid dreaming and and you know since 1975 I had, I've had more than a thousand lucid dreams uh, so more than a thousand times that I've become consciously aware that I'm dreaming while in the dream state and and what you quickly learn as a lucid dreamer is that when you go and interact with dream figures that they're not all created equal that they differ sometimes you go up to a dream figure and ask it a question and it'll just turn away or sometimes you'll go up to a dream figure and say, hey, do you know I'm dreaming you? And the dream figure will reply, how do you know I'm not dreaming you? And wow. I remember one time a, a lucid dreamer had that exchange. And uh, so, so, so she told the dream figure, well, well look, uh, I know it's my dream because, look, I can fly. 
and then the dream figure said, well, look, I can fly too. And, and so the lucid dreamer kept trying to one up the uh, dream figure, but never could. The, the, the dream figure could do everything that it did. And, and at the end of the lucid dream, they both sat down and, and they couldn't figure out whose dream it really was. And, and so when you begin to interact with dream figures, you, you realize, okay, some seem very aware and conscious. Some seem more aware and conscious than you are. And sometimes I've had dream figures actually help me become lucidly aware. Uh, one time I was having this dream, and, and there was this group of dream figures. They were playing a guitar and singing, and they just kept singing the same song over and over and over. And finally it struck me as, boy, this is too weird. Oh, this must be a dream. And as soon as I became lucidly aware, all the dream figures started to laugh, and they clapped and, and slapped me on the back and, and welcomed me you know, to the dream world. It, it was totally trippy. But, uh, but So this whole issue of dream figures is truly fascinating. Now, where it becomes even more interesting is when you become lucidly aware because you see a deceased person, a deceased dream figure, and you, you realize, oh, this must be a dream because Uncle Fred's been dead for five years now. And, because then at that moment, you can question the deceased figure and, and kind of figure out, is it a projection of your mind or is it something else? And and so as you go deeper into lucid dreaming, you realize that, that dream figures really vary. Wow. wow, that was absolutely fascinating. And like something that really sparked my mind there when you were talking, Robert, about um, about the the dream figure trying to one up the um, the dreamer and the, or the other way around. I, I was thinking at one point in my mind, it just said to myself, "Well, maybe they're both dreaming, but they're both caught in the same dream, <laughs> and, and that the both at, at the both are on the same level of consciousness r- r- that they brought r- it in." Right, exactly. I I think that's a, a wonderful way of thinking about it, and and so because of that. That's why in my own mind, I stopped calling them dream characters, because if you're a character, you're kind of like a character in a cartoon or a character in a movie or something like that. But but I just started calling them dream figures because just to say that they might have kind of an equivalent status to mine. I mean, they might be in their own dream, and I'm part of their dream, and they're part of my dream, like like some Venn diagram where the two circles connect. You know, we're in that connected space. We're in that overlapping space. And and so anyway, it does it does make you uh, really question things. But when I went deeper into lucid dreams, um, I read a book, and uh, in the book they suggested that you become lucidly aware and shout out, now all thought forms must disappear. So a, a dream symbol is a thought form. It's something that your thoughts have created. So, so when you became lucidly aware and you're with a bunch of dream figures, you can shout out, hey, now all thought forms must disappear. And when I do that, sometimes all the dream figures would disappear and I'd realize, oh my, that they were all projections of my mind. But sometimes only half of them would disappear and the other half would look over me like, you know, don't you get it? You know, we're not a product of your mind. You know, we're we're in our our own reality. So so yeah. so anyway, you, you can take this really deep, and uh, it, it's amazing uh, the, the nature of dream figures. Well, it sounds like what you're talking about there, Robert, is that these, these dream figures they have their own level of consciousness. You know, it, it's what, it's, yeah? it's like they it's like some of them do. So 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 th- think if you think if you had an issue in your life as a little kid. 
you might create a dream figure to personify that issue. But let's say that issue keeps getting more and more energy. So then that personification of that issue, that dream figure, would get more and more energy. And if you give something energy, you know, for like three or four or five years, suddenly, you know, it has that much energy. It acts on its own accord. It has awareness of what it all, it's all about. For, for example, in, in Lucid Dreams, uh, I always encourage people, instead of telling a dream figure, hey, do you know I'm dreaming you, which is always rude and, and they always look like they're pissed off when they hear that but because it makes, you, it makes you sound like an idiot. What, what, what you should do instead is this. You should ask the dream figure, who are you? What do you represent? And sometimes those dream figures will will give a response, and, and it will just blow your mind when they tell you what they represent. So I think if an issue gets enough energy over the years, you know, your own personal energy, that 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 personification of the issue kind of develops its own awareness, and it can tell you at least that much, you know, that it represents your fear of success, or it represents, you know, your your interest in this, that, or the other. And, and so, so that, that's why this, this area is, is one of those that I hope every lucid dreamer will investigate. I think, like, Robert, you hit the nail on the head there when you were talking about energy. Because, like, energy, it just it needs to go somewhere. It can't have, like, misguided energy. Exactly. Energy is always built up into a place. And the more energy you give something, the more life it seems to have. And maybe these, like, like uh, creations like uh, of the dream figures the more energy that we've given them, like we might have been going through not just like lucid dreams with them, but dreams that we can't even remember with them. Yeah, it, so they, it, And we could also be giving them energy through them. It, it, exactly, exactly. And, and I think looking at it as an energetic thing is, is really important because sometimes what happens is uh, people become lucidly aware and they realize someone is behind them or, or maybe someone's chasing them. And in Carl Jung's view of the world, that was where the shadow normally was. And so the shadow is the denied, ignored, repressed parts of the self. And I remember one time I became lucidly aware and I turned around because I could feel someone back there. And I always go to the area of the most energy in a lucid dream. That's kind of one of my main rules. So I, I turned around and I see this very nice black woman behind me. She's a young woman. I pick her up. I put her right in front of me and I ask her, who are you? Who are you? And she looked at me and she said, I am a discarded aspect of yourself. So, so wow. she was a discarded aspect of myself. And so, wow. so I thought in the lucid dream, well, how do I respond to that? And then I thought, well, if she's discarded, she just wants to be loved and accepted and so from my heart, I sent her all this love and acceptance. And the incredible thing was, all of a sudden, as I did that, she began to respond by shrinking down, shrinking down, shrinking down, until she became these bits of colored light that entered my torso and were so energetic that it woke me up. And I woke up from bed, and I thought, whoa, what was that all about? And then it was about a week later, I realized... Every day that week, I'd been thinking, oh, I should try to write a book on lucid dreaming. And that was a project I had discarded two years earlier because it just seemed like too huge of a topic to write a decent book about. But I, I went ahead, and, I, and that's how I wrote my first book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. So, so, so what I'm saying here is 
in lucid dreams, you can reintegrate or reconnect with that discarded energy or that ignored or repressed energy. And once you reconnect with it, it, it actually you can physically feel it inside of you. That, that's how profound it can be. That's, oh, that is fascinating. And it sounded like you, Robert, you used your own energy to unlock your creative consciousness, and that's incredible. Yeah, it, it, it was really a reconnection because as soon as I reintegrated that, then I felt like, oh, now I can do it. Because the first time I tried to write a book, I got about 50 pages in, and I just like hit a wall, couldn't do it. But when I reintegrated with this discarded aspect energy, then all of a sudden it's like I had tons of energy to do it and, and really push forward and, and write my first book. So Powerful, man. And it, it is such a fascinating area, like dream figures, Robert. And it, I was thinking as well, that this maybe like ties well into the angle that some people can actually see what's being perceived in a future event as well. Like, and I know we touched about on, uh, a bit about on this on the, like the previous podcast, but they can like witness an like these um, dream figures can actually witness an event which hasn't happened yet, but yeah, can recall the outcome of the event so clearly. And but sorry, not just the dream figures, but like yeah. us ourselves can like see a future event. Yeah, it's, as a dream figure. It, That's what I meant. It, it's uh, it's one of these incredible things that in a lucid dream you can seek out future information, and. Uh, I'm not always saying that you're going to be right, and, and so you got to experiment with it. And sometimes the problem is you'll get symbolic information uh, instead of literal information. Um, so so here, here's an example of that. Uh, one time I, I found myself in the middle of this small town at night, and I thought, I don't live in a small town. What's this all about? And I became lucidly aware. And, and so I looked around, and there was one building that had all this light coming out of it. And because I always go to the area of the most energy, I thought, okay, I'll go over there. And as I got closer, I realized it was a church. And the doors were wide open. I thought, okay, good grief. I'll, I'll go inside and see what's going on. I, I step up to the door of the church. And then I look in, and at the very front of the church is an open coffin. And as, as I'm lucidly aware, and I think, oh, you know, what, what the heck? I'll, I'll, I'll go down there and, and look into the open coffin. I don't care. It's a lucid dream. And so I walk down there, and I look into the open coffin, and I see it's one of my friends who's kind of smiling at me. And, and I, I look down at him, and I, and I, I, I say, I, I say, Donald, uh, does this mean you're going to die? You know, in a few years or something? And, and he goes, Oh no. And I go, well, does this mean you're going to die like in, in 10 years or something? And he goes, no, I don't think so. And, and so I woke up from the lucid dream and I thought, what was that about? And then the next day I got an email from my friend Donald and, and he goes, Robert, guess what? I'm getting married. <laughs> and so you can see you can see that, you know, a marriage happens, you know, at the very front of a church. And 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 it was kind of like the death of my friend, the single guy. And and um, so I was kind of picking up this future information, but but so again sometimes you get future information, but it's symbolically couched. But you can um, seek out it future information directly. Um, in this organization that I belong to, uh, the International Association for the Study of Dreams, uh, every fall we have a cyber dreaming conference and, and it's psi like psi like you know parapsychological dreaming and one of the things we do is we conduct a precognitive dream contest and so what happens is 
everyone tries to dream about an image that's going to be picked three days in the future. And, And so everyone has to dream in advance, post their dreams on the forum so you can't cheat, and then, then the dream image is picked out of this, you know, randomly from this large bank of images that nobody's seen except for the person who pulls them together. And so a few years ago, uh, my good friend Ed Kellogg, he's, he's trying to dream of the image. He set himself the task. He becomes lucidly aware and, and sees this guy, won't give all the details. And at the, at the end, he, he lucidly hears Vermeer. And uh, and when he wakes up, he thinks, oh, this might have to do with that uh, Dutch artist, Johannes Vermeer. And and he puts down, you know, he enters on the forum. His dream is lucid dream. And the image that was selected um, a couple days later was Vermeer's uh, painting, The Geographer. And, and so when you have kind of hits like that, you realize, wow, you know, you might actually be able to pull information out of space and time and and be correct but but again you should practice with this and and kind of see your percentage of being right uh, you know uh, for some people they might be right eight times out of ten uh for, for other people that they might miss it every time and it's just not their cup of tea yeah that's so fascinating that as well before robert when you said about um like people trying to like predict the dreams like how many people have actually like through that study that you were doing how many people have actually been able to do that well you I hear from various people that, that they've given it a try, and uh, again, a lot of them tell me that 80% of the time uh, that, that they seem to get it, you know, to, to basically get a good wow. response. But again, it's one of these things that experienced lucid dreamers practice with, and, and it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a little bit strange, though, to think about getting information outside of space and time. I mean, a lot of people have regular dreams that are precognitive. And even here in the history of the United States, uh, there's a wonderful story about three days before Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. He was having dinner with a bunch of people at the White House. And and so back in those times in the 1860s, people oftentimes kept diaries or journals. And all these people wrote in their journal, oh, President Lincoln told a very funny story that he had a dream. And in the dream, uh, he heard crying. And so he's walking through the White House looking for the crying, and he goes to the uh, one room in the White House, and there's a casket with a flag draped over it and a soldier standing guard. And, and he asks the soldier, soldier, who's died here? And the soldier looks at him and says, the president. And, and so these people who were at this dinner, they heard Lincoln you know, tell this dream, and they all laughed and got a big kick out of it. And three days later, he was assassinated uh, at a theater in Washington, D.C. So, so you know, throughout history, there's a lot of examples of you know, precognitive or foreshadowing dreams. The beautiful thing, I think, about lucid dreaming is this, is that in a lucid dream, you could actually scientifically study this. You could set up some experimental paradigm have the lucid dreamers seek out the future information, wake up with it, give it to the researcher, and and then all of them wait, you know, three or four days to see what happens, you, you know, in, in waking reality. And, and so that, that that's the way you could scientifically study this. But but I, I do think it's utterly fascinating. Well, it is, certainly is like, and that Abe Lincoln thing is absolutely fascinating it as well. It is so cool, that. And I think it just also goes to show, like, it show the power of dreams. Like, it is completely amazing that 
because these dreams can like not just show us like glimpses into the future and like just we said before unlocking our creative consciousness which is like transformed the world so it makes me think like robert that maybe if our creative consciousness like is locked inside our minds and our dreams are the keys which unlocks the information then maybe the more we eventually understand dreams and uncover more about their power then more and more people can unlock their own creative consciousness and like something I came across and I found it fascinating was um, Nikola Tesla and when he was talking about the richness and depth of his dreams like he possessed some like extraordinary like mental characteristics oh, right. like he talked about through his dreams he had an acute sense of hearing visualization skills so vivid like to mimic reality and like it, it was like talking about how he how his visualizations enabled him like conduct like realistic dream experiments while he was like wide awake in the lab and they said like maybe tesla was functioning like one level above the lucid dream stairs i i, I wouldn't be surprised you know there's a there's a thing that's very much like lucid dreaming that you can do while you're awake and um, it, it's kind of a technique that some jungian uh, therapists use and it's called active imagination and so basically what you do you get into a meditative state uh, sometimes people find themselves going down a path or to a house or something and it's the house of their self and then in this deep meditative state you kind of wander through the house of yourself and and, and learn about you know yourself and and some of these people who practice active imagination uh, it's much like lucid dreaming they learn incredible things about themselves about hidden talents and about places that they're conflicted or whatever. But but it doesn't surprise me to hear that Nikola Tesla, and, and there's a lot of other uh, inventors and even people like Einstein, oftentimes would get in this meditative state and they would consider issues or, or they'd pose them a problem to themselves, you know, like, you know, how how can atoms do this in the atomic world? And then they'd get into a meditative state. Uh, they might halt have a uh, like a ball bearing in their hand and when they get too sleepy their hand will relax and the ball bearing will f drop onto a metal pan and wake them up and, and oftentimes in that period of falling asleep that's where they'll get the answer to the question and, and so there's different meditative ways and th that people have used throughout history to get answers because they realize that Oftentimes the answers exist in this unconscious or subconscious mind. It's just that few of us have very good tools to get there. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That something, something that came to my mind there, Robert, as well. It sort of ties in what we we're just saying before as well. But I was thinking, like, how you know how a lot of people talk about how the, the human body has five senses. Like they talk about like sight, hearing, touch, and I think it's taste and smell as well. But like a lot of people which i don't believe by the way i don't believe we've just got the five senses i, I really believe there's like so many more like i think it all depends on like how we look at the human body and how we're like open up our awareness to the body as well but i was thinking like maybe our dreams are allowing us to access like other senses within our body have you ever thought that you know i i think you're totally right uh that there's a writer here in america uh, jane roberts who and and she would talk about that there's inner senses and so, like, inner senses might be conceptual knowing. Like, so sometimes in a lucid dream, I'll see something, but I know what it is. 
and, and I'll know what it is without any words being spoken or anything. You know, it might be some big blob of light or whatever it is, but I just instantly know what it is. And, and so there's these kind of inner senses that I think we have. I, I think you're totally right. And uh, also, I think the the five senses that we have uh, sometimes can be even more profound uh, than what they normally are uh, if we just be more attentive. Yeah, it's definitely it is. It is. It's something definitely be explored, and it is so fascinating. But as well, Robert, just to change the angle a bit as well, something wanted to delve in further in this conversation was like obviously talking about becoming more like conscious aware and tapping into our lucid dream state. And I know as well, um, there's a, there was a figure talking about how um, I think it was like some ninety ninety five percent of dreams are like forgotten, like something in the first five minutes after waking up. But I was thinking like and really like to start understanding our dreams, we need to start remembering them. But I was wondering, like, how did you get to a point where, like, you were aware of, like, you were lucid dreaming, and how did you get to a point where you could control them? Yeah. So, um, um, again, um, I've been a lucid dreamer for a long time. Um, I started out by um, reading Don Juan and Carlos Castaneda's book, uh, where Don Juan, the shamanic teacher in the book Journey to Explain, uh, suggested he try to find his hands in the dream state and realize he's dreaming. And so I created my own little technique. But after that. I began to use techniques like just the power of suggestion. So before I'd go to sleep, I'd just tell myself, tonight in my dreams I'll be more critically aware, and when I see something strange, I'll realize I'm lucid dreaming. And, and so by using my hands and the power of suggestion, every month I'd have about two to six lucid dreams, and uh, and, and that was pretty good. And, and then um, Stephen LeBurge came out with his uh, first book, uh, where he talks about this technique called MILD, the, which stands for the mnemonic induction of lucid dreams. And mnemonic is a word, is kind of like a memory helper, a memory aid uh, process for, for lucid dreams. And, and he had this interesting technique, and when I started to use it, you know, I got up to having about 10 or so lucid dreams a, a month. And, and then finally, as I, I did more things, uh, I finally was able to get to 30 lucid dreams a month. You know, some nights I'd have like three lucid dreams and other nights I wouldn't have any. And, and so, so that was my quantitative, my highest. But 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 I do want to say, though, I really don't think it matters how many lucid dreams you have. Uh, it really matters about the depth of the lucid dream, you know, what you're able to accomplish, what you're able to learn and do. Because I have a lot of people who have lucid dreams every night or, or some people have lucid dreams every night. And then they come to me for advice. And I, I think, wow, you know, I've, you, you folks are, have had 20, 30,000 lucid dreams. I, I've had about 1,000 lucid dreams. But, but still, they want to come to me for advice because I've kind <laughs> of thought about how to uh, utilize the lucid dream state more so. And so, so there's a lot of ways you can use. There's mild techniques. There's things like doing reality checks during the day. Uh, there's things like they call wake-initiated lucid dreams, trying to move from the waking state into the lucid dream state as you fall asleep. And so there's a lot of different ways to become lucidly aware. Oh, it's cool that it was very humble as well when you said that about that before as well about saying that yeah people are still coming to you I thought that was good how you said that but um as, as well before you when you were talking about your hands I was wondering so just to go back to that so did you like did you use like your hands as like a psychological trigger like of your hands and then through that trigger you sort of like realize you're in a dream and you could control it is that what you did yeah exactly so you know we we all remember um, Pavlov and his dogs. You know, every time Pavlov would feed his dogs, he'd ring a bell. 
and, and he'd do that every time, ring a bell, feed him, ring a bell, feed him, feed him, ring a bell. And after a while, he could just ring a bell, and immediately they'd begin to salivate. And, and so that's what they called a conditioned response. And, and so that, that's what I was doing. I was conditioning the side of my hands with the thought, this is a dream. And so I'd be in a dream, suddenly my hands would pop right in front of my face, and I'd go, oh, my hands, this is a dream. Or I might be opening a door, see my hands, and go, oh, wow, this is a dream. And, and so... You know, one way or the other, my hands would appear. Um, one time I was giving a talk out in Los Angeles, and a young guy was there, and he told me he had a lot of success with that technique. And he said, though, one time uh, his hands appeared in front of his face, and he didn't get it, and all of a sudden the hands started slapping him in the face until he realized, oh, this is a dream. <laughs> and so, 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 you know, his hands appeared in a dream and slapped him in the face because he didn't get it. But, but anyway, th- there's a lot of different ways you can become lucidly aware. Hmm. Robin, how many times did it take you to get your mind into a position like where you could use your hands as the trigger? You know, um, my first lucid dream using that technique occurred after three nights of doing it. So I'd look at my hands for about five minutes straight and just the palm of my hands and just think, tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. You know, my eyes would cross... Everything would get fuzzy, but I just keep saying tonight my hands I'll see tonight my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And so it took me about three nights, but but on that third night when they appeared just right in front of my face, it, it just totally blew my mind to realize that I was able to signal by the use of my hands that that, that I could become lucid. And it, it's it's really a wonderful thing. For for most people though, you know, it for some people they do it the first night. Uh, they hear about this technique, do it one time, and boom, they become lucidly aware. Uh, other people might take longer. But basically the thing is it's a conditioned response. It's a psychologically proven technique. And so I think for a beginner it's a good one to try. Mm, definitely. Uh, Robert, I know you like mentioned like a few tools there, like – but is there any others, like, in regards to, like, lucid dreaming, like keeping a dream journal, maybe? Yeah, yeah, everyone should, you know, do their best to keep a dream journal because the first thing you want to think about when you wake up is, what was I just dreaming? If you don't think like that or don't, don't honor dreams like that, you know, they'll evaporate, and a minute later you won't be able to remember what they are. So, so I keep a dream journal by my bed. In the middle of the night, uh, like the first dream, I'll make a couple notes in the upper left-hand corner of my notebook, the second dream I'll put in the upper right-hand corner of my notebook and, and just make some notes. But you just get into the habit of remembering your dreams. Th- then the other thing I always encourage people, uh, it's kind of a three-step process about when they become lucid. Y- you can think of it as REM. And so the R means as soon as you become lucid, you have to reduce your emotions if you're very emotional. Because sometimes people get so excited when they become lucidly aware that, that they actually wake up. And so when you become lucid, you know, if you're seeing Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie, you know, don't freak out. You know, don't, don't, you know, they're dream figures, you know, just stay cool, reduce your emotions, look down at your hands, look at your feet, you know, look away from the exciting uh, stimulus and, and reduce your emotions or just tell yourself to calm down. The, the second part, the E part would be like enhance your awareness. So, so once you become lucid, you've reduced your emotions, you can enhance your awareness by rubbing your hands together to kind of get a kinesthetic sense of being in that place, or you can touch something in the lucid dream to kind of ground yourself in that place, or you can even shout out something like greater clarity now or more awareness now. 
And sometimes when you shout that out, it's like somebody turns up the lights and the lucid dream and everything becomes brighter. And and the final, the M of my REM approach is, the M is, you have to maintain your focus. Because as soon as you become lucidly aware, you have to remind yourself, especially if you're a beginner, probably every 15 or 30 seconds, this is a dream. Because otherwise you'll go around exploring and you'll see something incredible and you'll be focused on it. And all of a sudden, a minute later, you'll forget that it's a dream. And so you have to maintain your focus by reminding yourself about every 15 or 30 seconds, this is a dream, I'm dreaming this, or having some goals. So so those are some of the ways and some of the tips that I give people when I give workshops on lucid dreams. That's cool. Thank you for giving us some tips. They're really good. Um, but I, I know as well, I, I come across this, I, I hear a lot of people talking about when you, like, when you do become like lucid, you don't like automatically have control of, like, over your, your dream environment. Is that true? Well, well, you know, I, I don't really like the word control. Uh, and uh, <laughs> in fact, I kind of hate it and, 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 uh, and all. Well, when you become lucidly aware, you can influence things. You can direct yourself in the lucid dream. Um, what, I, what I really think lucid dreaming is, is aware relating. You're aware. It's a dream. And now you're relating to things in a different manner. And, and so, so, so here's why I don't think it's controlled. Um, so let's say we're all lucidly aware. We fly through a wall. And on the other side of the wall is a castle and a white horse. Who put the castle and the white horse there? I mean, if we uh-huh. say we control the dream, then, yeah. then we would have had to have put it there. But we didn't. We just flew through the bloody wall. And, and so when you see that, you realize that, oh, I don't control everything. There's kind of a subconscious mind or a subconscious process also involved here. And when you go up to a dream figure and say, hey, do you know I'm dreaming you? And they look at you and say, uh, how do you know I'm not dreaming you? I mean, that's totally unexpected. So, so you can't really say that you control things because unexpected things happen. So, so we influence, we direct ourselves. It's aware relating, but, but, but it's, it's really not control. Yeah, it is. It's it's it is it's so fascinating when you do start understanding like within the dream, there's like all these different areas within the dream that, like you said before, populate itself, but also while we're like consciously traveling through it, it's, it's so fascinating. It's it's amazing what you discover, and, and it it almost becomes like an alternate reality. It really does. Yeah. I was thinking as well, that says to me as well, something that came into my head there, like you know how like, people talk about dreams are like just a, a byproduct of the imagination, like a lot of scientists say. Then I was thinking then, shouldn't like if that was the case, shouldn't they, shouldn't we just be able to control everything in our dream if that was the case? But this isn't the case. Yeah, and I, I think that even makes it more incredible that, that we can't control everything and unexpected things happen. I mean, that, that makes it even more incredible because it shows that there's more going on there. And, and that, that was something that Carl Jung uh, learned as well. So, so some of his dream figures and figures of his imagination basically told him that he... Carl Jung did not create them, that, that, that they're kind of, they exist on their own accord. And, and for him, that was a real shocking thing to hear because he thought, oh, you know, this is all just subconscious production or whatever. And, and when, the, when the figures told him, look, you know, you, you did not create us, it, it really made, made him uh, go back a few steps. So, so, so anyway, uh, it, it just shows how deep this area is and, and how incredible it is as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was gonna say as well. Have you heard of like um? I heard a lot of people in lucid dreaming as well, Robert, talking about like heightening the intensity. Have you heard of that? Heightening the intensity. 
Yeah, yeah. They talk about like so like they talk about when um eventually like people like they start like they go into these lucid dreams and they start playing about with like testing things and stuff. But then they start everyone eventually gets to a point where they'll start looking for like this deeper meaning within the lucid dream. So like I was thinking like just so an example I think on my head is just like obviously in this reality now, like quote unquote this reality anyway. <laughs> but like you can buy like a fast like people buy like a fast car and they sort of they drive it a few times and it obviously gets boring after a while. But then people start trying to like delve really deeper and asking like start like trying to communicate with the dream itself and asking like bigger questions. Right, uh, you know, uh, a lot of this is all connected to my first book, uh, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self, um, because back in 1985, I had this really powerful experience where I went up to a dream figure and I asked it, excuse me, what do you represent? And instead of the dream figure responding, this voice boomed out a response from above him. Wow. And so after that, I began to think, is there an awareness behind the dream? And so... In lucid dreams after that, oftentimes I would stop what I was doing and ignore the dream figures and just shout out questions to the awareness behind the dream. And and oftentimes I'd hear a verbal response. Sometimes I'd have a visual response. The whole lucid dream would change uh, in response to, to my question. And, and so, so um, over the years, a lot of people have heard about it. Uh, my first book came out in 2008, and, and a lot of people have read it. And so now they talk about, you know, interacting with the awareness or, or going beyond or, or, or things like that. And, and so uh, it, it's another fascinating aspect of lucid dreaming. It's as if you're communicating with your larger awareness or, or possibly your inner self. And, and sometimes it has incredible responses. Um, mm. Just um, here yesterday, uh, and so this is September 2016, uh, we put up at my magazine's website uh, at dreaminglucid.com, well, the September 2016 issue is people sending us articles about interacting with this awareness behind the dream. So, so it's a non-visible awareness. It exists there in the dream, and you just shout out questions and hear its response. But this magazine has all sorts of articles from people and readers submitted lucid dreams about it. Now, the interesting thing about it was that so, – so I, I had my first experience with this in 1985 after I'd been lucid dreaming for 10 years. And it was about 10 years later that the book The Art of Dreaming by Carlos Castaneda comes out. And so in that book, you know, 10 years later – Castaneda asked his shamanic teacher, Don Juan, what's, what's this voice in his lucid dreams? You know, what's this voice that responds to questions or gives guidance and is a non-visible voice in his lucid dreams? And Don Juan, his shamanic teacher, said, oh, that's the dream emissary. It'll tell you everything you want to know, and it'll always tell you the truth. And, and I thought, whoa, you know, I interacted with this larger awareness, you know, 10 years before – uh, Castaneda came up with it in his book, so so I wasn't influenced by Castaneda's book at all. I, I'd already had my own encounters with the larger awareness, but but it just shows you again how how incredibly deep this whole area of lucid dreaming is, and how it can really transform people's understanding of you know their self and and what reality is all about. Mm, definitely, uh, Robert. Something I was just about to dive in and ask you, like when you. When you were talking about that story, like when you asked and asked that dream figure, and there was a big boom and like an answer from above. What what did that answer say? Oh, so um, um, I followed this woman. I became lucidly aware. Followed this woman into an office. 
then I remembered, oh, yeah, the monthly goal of this dream group I was in was find out what the dream figures in your dream represent. And so I remembered, oh, yeah, that's the goal. And so I looked around the room, and there's a receptionist, a woman reading a magazine, another fashionably dressed woman in the corner. And there's this guy in a three-piece suit with, with a gold chain in his pocket, kind of an older guy. And, and so I just walk up to him, and I go, excuse me, what do you represent? And suddenly from above him, this voice booms out, the acquired characteristics and and I kind of look around and I think what and, and so so I look up to the space and I just say the acquired characteristics of what <laughs> and, and and so so I wait for you know a few seconds and like it's like it has to think about it and then it booms out the acquired characteristics of the happy giver and I think okay this guy represents the acquired characteristics of the happy giver I've completed the uh, task, and so I'm going to wake up and write this down before I forget it. And, and so the next day, I, I realized that this was a bit of day residue. Um, I'd been driving around Chicago the day before, and I met this woman who was the head of a nonprofit organization, and she told me that the only reason people gave money to her organization was to get their name in the annual report. And, and, and she just seemed so bitter. And, and as I walked away, I thought, wow, the Lord loves a happy giver because she was such an unhappy receiver. And, and, and so, so this, this was a little bit of day residue. But, but anyway, that, that, that's what happened. Yeah, that's cool. I was wondering as well, Robert, like, has there any, been any research on like, the amount of people that have actually lucid dreamt or a lucid dream in each night around the world? Yeah, th- th- there has. Um, um, if you go on the web, there's an International Journal of Dream Research. Uh, that that some guys at the University of Heidelberg in Germany put together. And and there they have some surveys of college students asking them, have you ever become consciously aware in a dream and realized you're dreaming? And and so, like in America, when they asked that, about 71% of college psychology students would say that. Uh, In the UK, I I think it was roughly the same, about 70-80%. In Germany, it was about 70-80%. In Japan, it was like 45%. And, and so so it's relatively common amongst college-age people. But then when they ask them, how do you become lucid at least once a month, then only 25% of that group said they become lucid at least once a month. So, so about, about one out of four lucid dreamers are, are fairly frequent lucid dreamers. The, the one of them, you, the other uh, group is, is fairly infrequent. Uh, there's another uh, German study that came out recently. Uh, a woman, Ursula Voss, conducted it. And what she did was she asked students from age 6 to 19, have you ever become consciously aware in a dream? And if they said yes, then she had her group interview them to see if they had truly had a lucid dream or, or just a vivid dream or something. But, but she, yeah. she found out of 694 uh, research subjects between the age of six and nineteen that that like fifty one percent had 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 a lucid dream, and she was just stunned you know to see these little seven and eight year old kids having lucid dreams and and doing amazing things like you know banishing dream figures or or flying around or or you know pumping themselves up like Arnold Schwarzenegger you know in the lucid dream because they realized it was a lucid dream and, and so it's, it's really incredible i I imagine that every night around the world, you know, there, there's there must be hundreds of thousands of people becoming lucidly aware. Uh, but but in general, when you ask the public, about half the people have had a lucid dream and about half haven't. 
Mm. Yeah, that's cool. So it does like seem like that like, we all have the possibility to lucid dream, and it's just about tapping into it. Exactly. Mm. Uh, Robert, what was your first experience like through lucid dreaming? Like, what made it so unique compared to the other dreams? Well, well you know, I, I was one of those kids who had a spontaneous lucid dreams b- before I even knew what it was all about. So I was, I was about ten or eleven years old. Um, I was in the public library in my hometown and I was walking through the stacks looking at books and then suddenly I I looked over to the side and here was this little Tyrannosaurus Rex walking through the public library and and even though I was 10 or 11 years old I thought what? Aren't dinosaurs extinct? And then it occurred to me oh this must be a dream and and so for a moment I became lucidly aware and I realized oh I'm dreaming And, and then I thought well what should I do and I couldn't think of anything and so I just told myself to wake up and, and so when I was 10 or 11 years old, I, I had a spontaneous lucid dream, but I, I just didn't get it. And, and that was when I was 16 or 17, reading that book by Castaneda, uh, of looking at my hands. Uh, that, that's when I had my first induced lucid dream. And what, what made it unique is, is it's like this incredible sudden shift. It's like this moment of zen when, when suddenly you get it. You know, before, you just assume everything is real. But then, then at that moment of lucidity, you shift and you go, wait a second, this isn't waking reality, this is dream reality, this is a dream. And, and so now, you know, instead of these guys over here being real people, well, they're dream figures and, and you really don't know what they are. And, yeah. and this wall over here feels real, but I know it's dream stuff, it's a projection of my mind. And so that, that, that's what just made it just utterly fascinating. Also, a lot of people experienced this, and I certainly did, when I became lucidly aware I would have kind of lucid euphoria. I, I just felt this kind of inner sense of kind of mastery and competence and 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 comprehension or something. And and so, it, it's truly a unique experience when you become lucidly aware. Mm. I think I think that is beautiful, Robert. And I think as well, like the beauty is that through our dreams, like our minds can just like travel in so many different dimensions. I like I mean the the imagination is endless, which basically means that. Dreams are endless as well. Exactly. Um, Robert, what do, what do you think is like the deepest you have travelled in your dream? You, you know, in my lucid dreaming, so so I began lucid dreaming in 75. In about 1995, after 20 years of lucid dreaming, I began to see that, that the lucid dream, regular dreams, and, and even waking experience itself was kind of a... A construct of of my beliefs and expectations, my focus, my intent, you know, all, all these kind of mental properties, al- along with this larger awareness that that I would communicate with in the lucid dream, and, and so I decided to go beyond lucid dreaming, a- and to do that, I realized I I would have to let go of my beliefs, my kind of self ideation, and, and what what happened then, Chris and Dan is is really amazing. I would go to sleep. And the entire night, it would be – well, first what happened is the entire night, it would be nothing but blue light. The entire night, just blue wow. light. And so there is no me. There's no action. There is no plot. There is no symbols. It was just blue light the entire night. And, and I, I remember the first time this happened, I, I woke up and I thought, well, well gosh, what, what do I put in my dream journal? 
I, I mean, blue light. I mean, nothing happened. It, it, and, and so I, I didn't even know what was going on, but I, I knew I was trying to go beyond lucid dreams. And, and so that this periodically kept happening that I'd have these nights that it'd be nothing but blue light. And I remember one of those uh, nights, uh, the next morning, I, I went down to the breakfast table and my wife looked at me and she goes, she goes in a really uh, concerned voice. She, she goes, she goes, Robert, what, what's happening to you? And I said, I said, why, why do you ask? And she said, she said, well, last night she woke up and she thinks she looked at my face and she said she had never seen a face in such utter bliss before. She, she well, said she looked at my face and it was just bliss beyond comprehension. And and, and I kind of smiled at her and I, I said, well, well, I'm I'm trying to understand the true nature of reality and, and, and so I'm doing some pretty wild stuff. And and so thanks for telling me, but but then what happened after that is um, uh, I had a wild experience where um, these two figures helped me through this really strange space, and that, that's the only way I can talk about it. You know, kind of this deep blue space, and then we get to this kind of area of a kind of a white temple. There I, I was lucidly aware. I come around the corner, and here's this figure composed of blue light. I mean, you can literally see through it because it's it's composed of blue light, and, and it's about 16 feet tall, about five meters tall. And the first thing I just began to laugh. I mean, it was just uh, hilarious. You know, what's what's this dream light figure, this blue light figure doing there? And, and so I didn't know how to respond, and so I decided to do a Carlos Castaneda thing and try to run beyond it. And, and right as I got up to it, uh, it was there's this giant explosion in my mind. And when I woke up, I literally felt like every cell in my body had somehow been altered by this inner explosion. And then, then a, a, probably a week after that, um, an experience happened. I was falling asleep. My larger awareness told me that if I really wanted to go the whole distance, I might cease to be. And, and I think it literally meant that I might die or, or whatever. And, and I told it, you know, that I was come this far i really needed to understand the actual nature of things and that night if you can imagine this having an experience of awareness within awareness and and, and so an experience of awareness as light within awareness as light and suddenly that experience stopped i found myself standing next to a guy wearing a robe and i asked him was that a lucid dream and he said, oh, no, to enter a lucid dream, go here. And I stepped into that space, and I'm hurtling through this tunnel of light and pop into a lucid dream, uh, lucidly aware. But when I woke up, I realized, what was that experience of light, uh, of being aware light within aware light? And it was about three years later, I was at a talk by a Buddhist guy, um, Tenzin Wangyo Rinpoche, where he said that the ultimate goal of dream yoga in the Buddhist tradition was an experience of clear light, uh, a non-dual experience of the light of awareness by awareness itself. And, and when I heard him say that, I thought, whoa, I, I, I think I managed to bushwhack my way uh, into that kind of this Buddhist path as, as I was just exploring deeper and deeper into lucid dreaming. So that's how far I've taken it, and, and uh, it, it's, it's amazing uh, uh, to have done, done that and taken it that far. That's cool. Uh, this is this is a bit deeper. This is something I want to ask you, actually, Robert. But have you had have you like had a dream within a dream? Sure, before? sure. 
I've yeah. had dreams within a dreams. I've fallen asleep in a dream, and in the next dream, become lucidly aware. And, and so, so uh, it, it, there's there's some different aspects to that. Uh, so some of that can be a little bit too much uh, for inexperienced people. So, so I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But, but yeah, you can do that. <laughs> it's just it's just so fascinating because it was actually a few months back I had that same experience. Well, it was a, that's the only way I can explain it really was a dream within a dream. That's the only way my mind can comprehend it. But actually, I woke up through the night and um, I thought I was awake and I thought someone was breaking in the house. And then so I thought, oh, it may, might be like I woke up now from the dream, so it might just be a signal. So I better go and check the house. And then when I was checking the house again, I actually woke up again. So I woke up twice. Wow. And I was like, eh. I was like, so this must be a dream within a dream. That's the only way I can explain. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there is one wild thing that happens. Um, in lucid dreams, there's three ways you wake up. Um, either you just wake up in bed like you normally do, or sometimes you have an experience of what people call the void. So you, you think you're going to wake up in the lucid dream because it's getting shaky and unstable, and you just wake up and or you become aware of kind of this sparkling blackness. And people call that the void, and, and then normally that dissipates and you wake up. But there's this other thing called false awakenings that you think you've woken from the lucid dream, and then you get out of bed and you look down at the carpet and you realize, wow, when did we get pink carpet? And yeah. and all of a sudden you realize, oh, shoot, I'm still dreaming. And, and so it's, that's called a false awakening. But but I, I've had uh, one instance where I had seven false awakenings in a row, and, and each time I thought, oh, yeah, I'm awake, and then I'd see something that wasn't proper or wasn't correct, and I realized, oh, I'm still dreaming, and then boom, oh, yeah, I'm awake, and then I'd go walk out into the hallway and see something weird, and I'd go, oh, I'm still dreaming, boom. And I went through seven levels like this. It, it was literally by the, by the time the seventh time came, I thought, if I wake up and I have a wife with black hair and three kids and a station wagon, I'm just going with it because I, I can't stand this uh, – you know, waking up from these false awakenings. It's, it's really, that, that, that's one trippy thing that can occur for people wow. uh, when they get deep into lucid dreaming. Wow. Like Groundhog Day, really, isn't it? That is deep, that is really deep. Yeah. It's, a, it's a crazy, that. Yeah. I was wondering, like, hey, Robert, this was dip, something different I want to ask you, but like when you when you are like in a lucid dream, have you like ever like, ex- you probably have, but have you ever like experienced with actually like meditating within the dream world? Right, yeah. You know, in, in this latest book uh, that, that I've written with Carolyn McCready, uh, lucid dreaming, plain and simple. It, it's the first book that has a chapter on meditating and lucid dreams. Uh, if you stop and meditate in a lucid dream, people and I've done it, but people can have utterly transcendent experiences, uh, really profound experiences, and, and even experiences that are so incredible that it helps them in their waking life go deeper and more quicker into the meditative experience. So. Uh, I highly recommend that for everybody in a lucid dream. Just stop what you're doing and begin to meditate. It'll blow your mind. Wow. I think, uh, like, honestly, Robert, the potential for lucid dreaming could be absolutely endless. Like, we really don't know. And something very interesting, and that made me think of the potential for lucid dreams, was the story of Lee Hadwin. Have you ever heard of him, Robert? Um, th- th- tell me the story, and, and I probably have. <laughs> uh, he, was a, he was a nurse in London who has a very interesting dream where he sees himself as this incredible world-class artist. And he actually creates these like magnificent pieces of work when he's sleeping. But when he's awake, he has no physical signs of natural talent when it comes to art. Wow. So he's like a fascinating example of like the power of dreams 
and the potential which is stored within a dream. So if Lee Hadwin can become an incredible artist, like it makes you think, what can the rest of us become? Yeah, and I, you know, when it comes to the potentials of lucid dreaming, that, that's one of the first potentials I tell people. I go, look, in a lucid dream, you can access creativity. And, and so like sometimes artists become lucidly aware, and, and uh, I've taught them to just shout out, hey, dream, show me the most incredible piece of art I can create. And oftentimes hanging there in the sky will be an incredible piece of art or it'll show up on a nearby wall or something like that. Um, I remember I was giving a talk and, and a guy told me that he writes novels for a living. And whenever he'd get stuck writing a novel, he would try to have a lucid dream. And in the lucid dream, he would just shout out, hey, novel characters, come to me. And then all of a sudden, these characters would be coming who were from his novel that he was writing, and he'd ask them, what's wrong with our novel, or how can we improve our novel? And the novel characters would tell him in the lucid dream. And so people have gotten art, gotten inventions, gotten all sorts of things. They've been able to access that in lucid dreaming. But you can also use lucid dreaming for things like emotional healing, psychological healing, you know, working through phobias and, and PTSD, recurring nightmares, and that kind of thing. And you can also use it, I believe, for things like physical healing and, and even improving physical performance. In Germany, there's been a study that of professional athletes, 8% of them are of the ones that lucid dream and, and about 50, 60% lucid dream. 8% of that group use lucid dreaming to become better athletes. So, so in their lucid dream, they practice their skill, like if it's downhill skiing, they do things in the lucid dream that they'd never do in waking life because they might blow out their knee or, or, or kill themselves or something, but they do it in a lucid dream to kind of learn it in that virtual reality of a lucid dream. And, and I think someday, you know, we're going to have somebody incredible in the you know, in the Olympics or something, and, and they just learned how to do it in a lucid dream, uh, just like Lee Hardwin uh, learned how to become a better artist by paying attention to his dreams. I think that's what's amazing about it, like Robert, is that these dreams are actually being transcended into reality, like they're bringing something from the dream into reality. And when you've gotten out of the case of healing, that made me actually think, like, could we actually become, like, our own doctors and our own medicine really by going into our own dream world and physically healing ourselves mentally and physically and so we're relieving ourselves from stuff like cancer heart disease just through the power of our mind all in this like dream session yeah. so basically like the whole power of taking this whole dream into our current reality that is the ultimate next level in my eyes i uh I, I agree with you. It's it's a fascinating thing. Um, a good friend of mine, Ed Kellogg, who has a PhD in biochemistry from Duke University, he, he's been somebody who's really explored physical healing and lucid dreams, and and there's numerous dozens and dozens of examples of people who have apparently healed themselves in a lucid dream. And so um, in both of my books, I have chapters on physical healing and lucid dream. And and also in the, my magazine, people send me uh, relatively routinely examples of how they healed themselves in a lucid dream. And they woke up. Sometimes the improvement was like 60, 70, 80 uh, percent. Other times it was just utterly profound. The, the, the improvement was just complete. So, so this is another potential area of physical healing and lucid dreams that, that 
bears a lot of attention because the mind is really involved in healing. And that's like when they give people placebo pills. Uh, oftentimes the placebo pills work as good or better as the, as the drug that, that the, you know, the pharmacist is prescribing. And, and when they look at that, it just shows that the mind is really involved in healing. They did a study one time where they had these people who had knee problems and the doctors realized they couldn't operate on the people because it would just cause more damage. And so they created fake operations. You know, they put yeah. the people in anesthesia and acted like it and, you know, kind of cut the skin with a knife, but they didn't do the surgery. And of those people, they recovered, their knees recovered as well as people who had actually undergone the surgery. And, and so that just shows you, you know, how wild it is. The mind is really a healer. But in a lucid dream, when you're at that deep level, people have done things where they've they've just made things go away by intending it and by using some of the techniques in their lucid dreams. Yeah, uh, when you touched on there about the placebo effect, Robert, it is it that is so fascinating, and and I, I, honestly, I've been digging digging that deep for like for ages as well. But it's just the mind's capabilities. We really don't understand what the body is capable of. But as well, when you when we when you said the placebo effect there, I thought of something different in my head there, right? So with I was thinking, like, with the general concept of the placebo effect, sorry, yeah. I was curious, right, how much, like, the placebo effect could increase the chances of having a lucid dream. So I was thinking in my head there, like, imagine, like, giving someone, like, a sugar pill and then seeing it will make you, like, lucid dream at night. Like, I would love to see that study, maybe, you know what I mean? You know, my, my friend Ed Kellogg uh, did exactly that. Uh, there's one herbal substance out there that... that that seems to help people increase their lucid dreaming. And, and so, so Ed wondered, you know, well, is it placebo or is it really working? So, so what he did was this. He got 20 pill capsules that were identical. And, and, and in 10 of the pill capsules, he, he numbered all of them. In 10 of them, he put the herbal substance. And then the other 10, he, he just put flour or sugar or something like that. And, and then he gave the pills. They were all numbered to a friend. And he said, when when I request them, just just give me one of the pills, but don't tell me if it's the herbal substance or the placebo. Anyway, he became lucid on these various nights after taking the pill, you know, some of the time, and and he did the results of his thing. And when he looked at it, and his friend gave him the numbers and and what he was really taking, he couldn't believe it. He actually had more lucid dreams on the placebo than he did on the herbal substance. Wow. And he was just utterly blown away that that it happened because the herbal substance, oftentimes when people take it, their body gets really hot and they have all these kind of uh, reactions. And, and sometimes when he took the herbal substance pill, his body got hot and he had all the symptoms, but he, he had just taken a, a flower pill or something like that. So, so it, again, it shows you know the power of the mind. Uh, the, the mind's incredible. But the great thing about lucid dreaming is when you're consciously aware at this deep level of the mind – uh, Buddhists who, who study dream yoga, they, they say your actions are seven times more powerful there because you're already at this deep level. You focus, you can use your intent and, and really make magical stuff happen. Well, that's cool. That I mean, there is, there is so much we don't really understand about the placebo effect. It's so fascinating. But as well, um, just before like we wrap this podcast up, um, Robert, I wanted to ask you, like, is there maybe like any area within like dreaming or like lucid dreaming that like you maybe think would be good like to touch on it? Because I know I've, I know I've like covered a lot of like a lot over these two episodes, but maybe like I was just thinking maybe there's some new research you'd like to mention, or even just like an area within dreaming that that's really making you question things. You know, the 
there's always deeper things you can go into. Uh, and so, uh, you know, occasionally I'll have people talk to me in a lucid dream. Can you interact with a past life self? And so, you know, that's kind of a wild idea. Uh, has anyone ever done that? And, and, and so you, you begin to see, you know, when people start to tell you experiences and sometimes they get verifiable information that's just totally outside of their knowledge because it happened, you know, like a thousand years ago in a culture they had no awareness of. I, I mean, it, it just shows you that what the mind contains is incredible. And, and so so it really makes you restructure your thinking. You know, are, are we connected to a collective unconscious? Is there a universal mind? You know, what's really going on here? Are we just great guessers? You know, is the mind just an amazing computer that can, you know, pull forth stuff that, that seems good? But anyway, the, there's a lot of new areas, and, and we're we're really in the early stages of lucid dreaming. It, it has a lot, a lot deeper to go. Wow, it's absolutely got a hell of a lot more deeper to go. <laughs> Probably deeper than this podcast, I believe. Like, <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> exactly. But but it's been great talking to you guys, and thanks so much for your interest in lucid dreaming. Robert, before like, I'd love to answer this final question, like just for you, and like, which is. Um, and it's something like I've been wanting to ask you since like the last episode, and it just came to me head today. And it okay. was, if you could know the answer to any question in relation to dreams, what question would you ask? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I I'd probably try to do one which is kind of one of these uh, magic genie kind of things, like uh, like what is the one thing that would guarantee lucid dreams uh, every time? If, if I knew the answer to that one, then I would really feel like I'd accomplish something. But, but for most of us, uh, lucid dreaming, it requires, you have to persist at it. You have to be disciplined, keep a dream journal. It, it's just like if you're going to be good at sports or, or good at whatever. I mean, you got to get into the game. you got to build up your skills. you got to keep getting your head into it and, and just learn about it and keep going from there. But but, but that would be the one question I'd ask is uh, what, what, what would guarantee a lucid dream every night? And that would be interesting to see. Yeah, it certainly would be. And like I think I said this in the last episode as well, like I think we can all geek out or again and it's been absolutely fascinating and I think we'll have to wrap this episode up now and but there's still certainly so much more to cover and yeah, there, is. there is like and it's in two episodes I think we've done really well, like all three of us. And it's been a fascinating combo. Um but for all the people who who might have actually missed the first episode and jumped straight into this one where can people find you and what are you currently working on again, Robert? Yeah, so if they want to check out my book website, it's at www.lucidadvice.com. So that's lucidadvice.com. And um, also they can check out our free online magazine called The Lucid Dreaming Experience at dreaminglucid.com. Uh, at mylucidadvice.com, you can see the places I'm going to be speaking at or the online workshops that I'm doing and that kind of thing. But, but yeah, that's where they can uh, reach me. And I, I even have a place there where, where people can uh, send me questions about their lucid dream experiences. Wow. Thank you, Robert. I'd just like to say a big, 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 big thank you because over these two episodes, it's been so enjoy enjoyable talking to you. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Th thanks, Chris and Dan. It's been, it's been a blast. Supposing, just for the sake of illustration, you had the power to dream every night any dream you wanted to dream. 
and you could of course arrange for one night of dreams to be uh, 75 years of subjective time or any number of years of subjective time what would you do? well of course you'd start out by fulfilling every wish you would have routes and orgies and uh, uh, all the most magnificent food and uh, sexual partners and everything you could possibly imagine in that direction when you got tired of that after several nights you would switch a bit and you'd soon find yourself involved in adventures and uh, contemplating great works of art fantastic mathematical conceptions you would soon be rescuing princesses from dragons and all sorts of things like that and then one night you'd say now look tonight what we're going to do is we're going to forget this dream is a dream and we're going to be really uh, shocked and uh, when you woke up from that one you'd say ooh wasn't that an adventure then you would think more and more far out ways to get involved and let go of control knowing that you'd always come back to center in the end but while you were involved in the dream you wouldn't know you'd come, you were going to come back to center and be in control and so eventually you'd be dreaming a dream in which you found yourselves all sitting around in this room listening to me talking all involved with the particular life problems which you have and maybe that's what you're doing <laughs> Thanks guys for taking time out of your day to boost your consciousness. But guys, we really need your help. If you're loving the podcast, please pop over and leave us a review and tell us what you think. And also, don't forget to head over to our website at ascendbodymind.com and check out our amazing gallery of other great episodes. Thank you and have a great day and join us next week in the next episode. Peace.